Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I knew that. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. In the mud, blood, and beer. Years that I'm not working Fourth of July. Fourth of July. <laughs> hey, community policing, right? What about community dispatching? So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Uh, follow me on social media. It's It's been a rough week. <laughs> I went out to Seattle to visit some friends who um, just had their second child, and then I got COVID. So it's been <laughs> a little rough. Um, I'm definitely recovering, feeling better, uh, but it's definitely interesting when you're on vacation and then your vacation's extended, but you don't want it to be extended. <laughs> so <laughs> for everyone out there who's feeling feeling a little sick, I'm here with you, thinking about you. Hope you feel better soon. Um, it never feels good to not feel 100% yourself. So for today's episode of Let's Talk Dispatch, we are talking with our guest today, 25 years of service working in urban centers, rural centers, and everything in between is the current director of Aurora Colorado Center, Tina Bonita, and I'm going to bring her on now. Hi, Tina. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Having a fangirl moment here. Oh, you stop it. You stop it right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. Like, I love what you're doing with this platform. And so when when we talked about uh, my joining you, it was just such an exciting moment for me. Mm. Um, I love that we are bringing forward our voices in the industry Mm. in this way. Um, It's a very exciting time. It, it really, online. it really is. And I mean, one of the things that I love about talking to folks, I mean, you've been doing this for 25 years. That is no small feat. And for anyone who is considering getting into this line of work or is in this line of work knows like folks don't hit 25 a lot just because of the line of work we're in. And I can imagine you've seen such the shift from us being, you know, in the back to the front over those 25 years? Oh, my goodness. Um, First of all, you know, in case anyone is wondering, I started when I was 12. (laughs) You're doing the math. (laughs) No, I was never going to math. I had to tell my backgrounder I cheated through my accounting class. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was definitely not 12. And as a matter of fact, I I was 29. So you can do the math there. But um, isn't it crazy how we find our way into the profession and, and how different it was back then? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and here's a funny story. I didn't even realize I had applied for the job. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, everyone always says, like, I found 911 by accident. And and I'm no different, right? So if you're looking for, like, a, an inspiring story of I always wanted to be, you're not going to get it here today. Um, <laughs> but it was, like, the happy little accident of my life, and it completely transformed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working at FedEx part-time, and that was a fun job. It wasn't <laughs> stressful, um, you know, and I worked, like, four or five hours a day. It was super mm-hmm. easy. Um, But I really was thinking, I was like 29, really thinking about, I need to do something that's going to secure my future. I need to invest in something that, you know, I can invest in a retirement. I, 
I'm not getting younger. I need to, I need to get it together. Right. My mm-hmm. mom was also in my ear saying, you really need to get a job. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> our parents sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, so I apply, I made just like a general uh, state of Colorado application. And back in the day, right. You filled out this sheet and it was like the dot matrix sheets where you filled out the circles oh and yeah. you said like, where, where are you willing to work and what are you willing to do? And, And evidently, I I checked dispatching um, Mm. because why not? Um, And it was available in Pueblo. So, okay. Um, But I never gave it another thought. I completed the test. I I came back in and did another like a, it was like general English Mm. um, memorization, logic, um, the ability to translate the summer, like summarize a story Mm -hmm. and all this stuff again with the little dots in the booklet and you fill it out yeah so I completed that and I'm thinking oh I'm gonna get like a secretary job or I don't know what I'm doing so I go to work at FedEx one day and come back and I have a voicemail okay so for you really young people the way voicemail (laughs) used to come in was you would ring to your phone and then when you didn't ring it would answer by a machine you recorded your voice and then it played on a little cassette tape oh my god (laughs) anyways I had a blink right I play it and, and I hear, I, hello, I'm calling for Tina. This is Dawn and I'm calling with the Colorado State. <laughs> and immediately I panicked. I, I was like reassessing every moment of my life for like the last month. Like, why on earth would the State Patrol be calling expired. Am I in trouble? What's happening? Um, oh my gosh. And so I called back because it's the law and you do what you're told, right? <laughs> I called back and he said, well, you filled out a job application and I was like oh I did <laughs> oh, oh I did um yeah so, yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they invited me in and I took this ridiculous some of you old timers will appreciate this but I, I took this multitasking test called the perfects and mm. it looked like an old-timey operator console with a microphone coming out and there was pegs and and rings and you mm-hmm. had paper to write on and it was a recorded thing where you followed instructions. Um, Interesting. It, it was, it was crazy, but evidently I did really well. on Rocked it. hundred percent. So, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I remember that I scored a 96 on it. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Who knew, right? That's Who right. Knew? Um, and so I, you know, ended up in a, in a interview and then background and that was crazy. Right. So, you know, coming onto a law enforcement agency and they know you better than your parents and your best friend and everybody else. Um, what a lesson in vulnerability that was, um, yeah. but a past, obviously. Um, phew, um, <laughs> they still haven't figured it out yet. They're not on to me yet. It, and they, uh, you know, so I started and um, I'd say about two weeks in, I thought to myself, where have you been? Where have you been all my life? Like, this is made for me. And also, you know, it really scratched that itch of wondering what I do next. Because I had gotten into this horrible cycle of getting on with a job and then learning the job. 
you know, like mastering the job and becoming bored with the job. And I started to cycle about every six to 12 months looking for a new job. Mm -hmm. And again, my mom's in my ear, like, that's not a good look. You better stay longer. (laughs) But I was like, you know, like itchy, miserable, like what's next? This, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And it was the first time in my adult life where I thought to myself, like, okay, I feel like I'm home right now. Um, but it was a different situation, right? Like we had like DOS-based computer, like a CAD system. We had to like Alt-T, like timestamp. And at midnight every night, we had to purge the data from the day. And it would print out on a dot matrix printer. And then the data was gone. And you started fresh at, you know, at 0, 100 hours with a new day. And so even archive, you know, like retrieving data, if you were researching an event, you had to go back to your dot matrix printouts for the day and read through them. Oh my gosh. We did a lot of all the time. I could not do the job. (laughs) It was 15 years ago, like just growing up the way we've grown up. It's just Mm -hmm. like the way folks dispatched when back in the day, minus the technology, you know, just mind blown. Mind blown. Dogs make drinks like what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and we were actually, we were actually, our center was one of five regional centers in the state. And so we were the only center that had this system. Our, our center manager has a background in computer science and he had actually developed this. He was kind of like developed the first CAD for the Colorado state patrol. Everyone else was doing pen and paper and Denver, which is in the, in the Metro area had this crazy card system where the call taker would write down what was happening. And then we, we had these track systems that went around the center and they would, you know, put the card in the track and it would fly across the room <laughs> to the dispatcher. Okay. I'm not going to lie. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, well, and then there's like, there are mythological stories like of flaming cards, oh whether or not they were literally on fire when they went down to the track, like no one can prove that one way no, or another. Me Harry Potter vibes and I'm with it. You know? I'm really <laughs> I know. I was it. like, I feel a little jealous. Like I would have been down for some flaming cards to right? the track. Like that sounds exciting. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. We had manual mode and we did the cards like when all of yep. our computers went down and we had a little bell. So if I was call taking and I had a, and now I had to go to radio, I would stand up, finish my card, ring the bell and we'd had a runner. So we didn't have a track system. We had a runner come grab it and bring it to the right <laughs> station if we went down. Should have had a track system. I know. I've heard you know? Of that before. It's the only center I've ever heard about. So if anyone relates to this i'd love to hear your story about your track system oh my gosh like who built it i want to talk to that person who was it like "Mm, i think this would work you know yeah i mean you know like that is and that was the only center that had a track system like five centers and we were all like completely different worlds and it really was right because you were local your troopers were local Mm -hmm. um 
right? You were working in your communities. And so it was very much like, right, different agencies under one agency. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and how we have progressed since then has just been, it's just been perpetual. Like this yeah. evolution is crazy. And mm -hmm. now, right, like, you know, my, my centers on, you know, next gen, we're getting ready, you know, to deploy, you know, we're going through uh, RFI, RFP to, for new mm -hmm. call management that will give us AI powered automatic mm -hmm. language detection, translation, transcription, you know, the ability to pinpoint someone's location and their, you know, and, and the X axis and like to be able to, or, Y axis. Did I say X? You did, but that's okay. <laughs> it was close in the alphabet, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're next to each other, right? Oh, like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're picking up and I'm down. You know, I got you. I got you. I cheated through accounting, so <laughs> <laughs> solve for X. No, it's that's for Y. <laughs> you know, they shouldn't even be there. We're talking numbers, okay? <laughs> but isn't that bananas? I, bananas that that were there. Um, mm. I think really it's, is. you know, we're just at this moment where I waited so long. I knew in my heart that we had this potential. And I think I was just, you know, wondering when it would take off. And then suddenly you realize you're in the middle of it. Like, this is happening. It's happening right now. And I get I get to be here and be a part of this. And super, super, super exciting. Like, yeah. we all are crafting and influencing tomorrow's 911 yes. right now it's just amazing to think it, about it, it is really that is really a wonderful way of looking at it because you know we've grown up always having access to 911 and i mean there's folks out there who still don't have the same access that folks in the cities do and things like that but generally americans you know we dial 911 we're used to this instant gratification of folks coming and helping and knowing where we are and, or thinking we know where you are. Right. And the reality is the technology has only been around what, 50, what, what do we have? 55 years or something like that. 50, Maybe 60, 68, 68, something like that. So like very, yeah, 55. I, I was thinking 1968, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's not that, long you know and it's something citizens civilians we're all used to having but the reality is this is new it's only i mean it's it's an infant you know in the stage right. of adulthood and life it, it's it's still in its infancy right right i mean you know truly the the role has changed so much you know when when i first began dispatching one of my leaders always told me like your motto, your role in life in this role is to be the pipe, just be mm -hmm. the pipe. Information flows in, information flows out. Don't think about it. Just be the pipe. And mm -hmm. that is, that is so not true anymore, right? Mm -hmm. We are information mm -hmm. analysts. We are triaging. We're prioritizing we are expanding the numbers of resources, right? So it's not just cop, car, fire, truck, ambulance. Mm -hmm. It's alternative response. It's a mm -hmm. civilian response process for, you know, crash investigation. It's 
you know, as a clinician and, and an EMT handling mental health calls, it's mm -hmm. right. And so the complexity of how we're connecting people to resources has, mm -hmm. right. It, and it's not done like that mm -hmm. spectrum just began to expand and it's going to continue. Like who knows what this will look like in two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, I know in Aurora, like, the number of resources that we have available now has just been multiplying every year mm -hmm. and we have to pivot with that. Right. And mm -hmm. so it's really about like this evolution of what it means to be a 911 professional and our role in public safety as an equal but separate spoke of the wheel. Right. We are partners mm -hmm. with our field responders and law enforcement and fire and EMS and alternative response. And right. We have to stand up, take ownership of it, take a hold of our role and and maximize it, professionalize it, mm -hmm. make it our own, make it, you know, maximize the efficiency, um, make our dreams about the potential, the reality of what is um, and you know, that's hard work, right? Like mm -hmm. we talk about reclassification all the time and mm -hmm. how we deserve to be considered um, a protective service. And I agree, mm -hmm. but there's nothing magical that happens with that. The mm -hmm. hard work we do right now to take ownership of our role and ensure that we have the most trained, certified, professional, capable, resilient workforce um, that is able to deliver on that complexity. Like we have to do that because mm -hmm. the reclass doesn't change anything, but the work we do right now changes everything for us. And I think it actually ultimately paves the way for the recognition that we're earning by doing this very important and difficult work. So, so, so true. And you know, you're a director of, of an agency and so you're leading, leading your folks, you know, into this direction. And I would imagine that having you as a leader, having you with that mindset, being so willing to accept the new, being, being willing to pivot, I think historically centers have struggled a little bit with change and being able to accept that new technology and accept those new services and accept um, that we are evolving um, in our roles in public safety and dispatch centers. How do you promote that in your center? How do you empower your folks to embrace that change and essentially be, be leaders in that change in this uh, line of work? Well, you know, it's a long process, honestly. It's not something that happens in a vacuum. And I'm three and a half years in with our team. And I'm so proud of the progress we've made but we still have work to do and we all recognize that. So I think the number one thing for any leader to do to inspire interest or engagement of your team for changes in what's possible is you have to, number one, you have to, you have to know what's out there, like being in tune with your, with your industry and understanding what's coming down the pipe um, before it reaches you. But number two, like being able to tell that story and, and I, and I think that leaders who have lived it, you know, I, I've, I've lived through all of the progressions and I've, you know, started with not much and see where we are now. And it's so mm -hmm. different, but having that relatability and being able to tell the story mm -hmm. of how 911 is growing up, right? Mm -hmm. I've been able to see almost half of 911's life through my <laughs> own eyes. I mean, 
right? Like, wow, I can never believe, I can't believe I've been around that long. It goes by so fast, but mm. how much happens is just amazing. And right, being able to tell that story in a way that that shows the growth, but sets everyone up to see the potential for what could come and what could be, and then translating that into how would it make me more successful? How does it make my role better, easier? How, mm-hmm. how do I feel like I get the closure I need on calls? How do I better connect with people? How do I ensure that everyone goes home at the end of the day? You know, mm-hmm. and when you're able to tie what you're working toward to those needs, there's relevance, right? Mm-hmm. The why. I think that's just important for any adult to know and understand the why. And I think as leaders, it's our most important job to translate that and, and you know, really communicate the why all the mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. people are reasonable. And if they understand why something's important, they're likely to, to get behind it. But mm-hmm. secondly, Um, I'm not just going in myself and making a bunch of changes. That would be silly. I have smart people on my team, right? So, I mean, the role of a leader is like hire good people and then get the hell out of their way Mm -hmm. and and let them do what they do the best. So Mm -hmm. involving people, letting at every, every rank, every role, every level of experience, like getting a cross section of your team to have a working group for an implementation or, you know, like whether it's you're bringing on a new CAD or you're looking at a new phone system, or you're trying to engage on some process improvement for, you know, how do we handle all of this workload better, but involve Mm -hmm. the people who do the work and Mm -hmm. then listen to their ideas. Um, and I think that fundamentally that has proven to be very helpful and successful for our team because, well, look, I don't pretend to be the smartest person in the room and I, and I never will be, and I, and mm-hmm. I never want to be, mm-hmm. um, but the people who are doing the work every day, they're, they're living it yeah. up close every day. And if I don't trust them, right, then mm-hmm. who am I, who am mm-hmm. I to lead them? And I don't, I don't have a right to do that. So you know, it's the relatability, but, but in my mind, it's you, people will, will rise to your level of expectation. And so if you say, I trust you and I want you to come up with a solution, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they do. And they have. Yeah. So it's right. I mean, it's not rocket science in my mind. It's just yeah, realizing that what I, I, I realize what I would have wanted in my career, mm. like growing up in my career, um, mm. thinking about what I would have liked to have been a part of or what I would have liked to provide an input on for whatever mm-hmm. was happening in my world. And I remember that. Yeah. And so I, I just want to be the opposite of that experience. Yeah. I mean, I think you you made so many good points. Hey, let me talk. I love the how 911 is growing up reference like because it's so true when we talk about it being in its infancy and how much for me it's changed in five years let alone 25 years right but then when you're talking about how we are impacting our centers as leaders and it's really extending a hand and making folks uh have buy-in to the things that they're 
working on 12, 12 hours a day. That's and right. sometimes I think we can get caught up in saying, I mean, saying the buzzwords, doing the buzzword things, you know, but you really have to be intentional and, and meaningful with the things you're doing. It's not like I'm putting out a survey and they're not reading the results. You know what I mean? Like you, people know what fake is, right? They know when it's just being done to say it's been done. Mm -hmm. Um, But allowing folks to really contribute to this environment that they are spending 12, 14 hours a day that they're missing family events in, that they're, you know, coming in on their off days because someone else is sick. That's when you're going to have a successful environment. And, and really, it's how we, I think the environment really, you know, it really hinges on how we hold ourselves and each other accountable mm-hmm. to really show it, you know, how we, to our collective expectations of how people okay. show up. Um, mm-hmm. So just to tell you a quick story, um, mm-hmm. we have been working on, um, and starting with our leadership team, because that's where it starts, Um but rolling this out to our entire team, we've been working on a project now for a few months and, um, and it's really based around emotional intelligence and EQI. So we, Mm -hmm. we brought in our esteemed, uh, consultant, Adam, Tim, everyone knows Mm -hmm. who Adam is. Um, (laughs) and we brought him in first to engage all of us as leaders and help us, do a self-assessment on our individual levels of emotional intelligence and where, where we excel and where we can grow and where we're in balance and where we're out of balance. And it gave us a snapshot of ourselves and how we engage with the world. But then we were able to look at ourselves as a team to see our collective strengths and areas of growth so that we could understand how we're functioning as a team and how we bring balance to our team. It was, it's vulnerable work. Um, Mm -hmm. But my entire, like my manager, my my managers, my supervisors, everyone participated fully. um, And it was, it was really a practice and vulnerability for all of us. I, I also went through the program with them, but at the end of the day, we learned a lot about our triggers, our defenses, um, you know, what happens in moments of, of stress? What do we do? You know, like what what causes us to shut down? Mm-hmm. Um, because how we show up is going to completely influence the entire work environment around us. Yeah. And so we really, you know, we've been working on that. The next phase was to engage the entire department in defining, well, first identifying what our team's core values are right Mm. now. And so we put it out to the entire department and everyone had to participate. um, And we identified four core values for our team, respect, teamwork, compassion, and integrity. Mm. And then we spent time together, all of us, um, in meetings with the department asking everyone to explain to us what it means to live within those values and what does it mean when you're outside of those values. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just kind of finished this this part of the process, but we were able to define what each of the core that four core values mean for us. We were able to identify the behaviors that support those core values and the ones that are out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, that becomes a part of it becomes a part of who we are, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's instilled into our policy. It's instilled in performance management. We 
are empowered to hold each other accountable, mm -hmm. um, to speak up when someone's out of bounds. Um, mm -hmm. And and that part really is, I think, fundamental and just foundational to if you want to do anything productive with your culture, mm. you've got to do the hard work first. And it starts like inside each of us. So, you know, that is one thing for us that we're, we're excited about this. The momentum mm. is fun, but we're not, we're not done. And mm. um, I just, I encourage anyone who's struggling with just <clears throat> having a, maybe a negative culture or one that is, you know, feeling disempowered, or if you've got a lot of turnover and you can't put your finger on it, like it starts inside. And, and as a leader, right. I just, if I knew if I wanted to change anything, I had to start inside of me and then work my way outward from there. And, um, it's catching on. So <laughs> I, I just, you know, I share this because it's, um, it was very different from the world I grew up in, you know, mm -hmm. 20, years in a, you know, very structured paramilitary organization that was very hierarchical and you just, you do what you're told and you don't, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what came from that was um, disempowerment, but that disempowerment becomes comfortable because mm. when you're disempowered, you're also not responsible for what happens. And so, yeah. right, mm -hmm. like in order to, to turn that around, um, you have to do something very, very different. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to really flatten our organization and give everyone a voice. And it's cheesy, right? People are like, gosh, that's, like, that's really I love me. I love me. It's our cootery board, you know? I like cheese. <laughs> I'm all about the cheesy, warm, fuzzy, lovey-dovey, huggy, like, that's just me. Yes. But uh, it's not everyone, and I recognize that. But even if you're not that way, this is for you too. So, well, um, the thing that I love about, you know, this journey you're talking about that you folks are going on is that a lot of times folks who are thrusted into leadership roles for whatever reason, whether it's like staffing and they just get moved into it or, um, you know, they had leadership roles in the past and they're qualified or whatever the reason is, we just expect those folks that are put in those roles to know what to do. And it's like, to a certain extent, yes, but at the same time, we expect our, you know, dispatchers who are answering the phone to continue to get better, to continue to learn, to continue to train. We should be expecting that of our managers and supervisors as well, you know, and it sounds like what you folks did was you opened yourself to be vulnerable and to, and to be taught you know, right? To be taught about yourself, to be taught about how you interact with folks and how you impact people by your own triggers and your own actions. And, you know, and I think we, we miss that a lot in management, you know, where you're kind of focused on, you know, correcting or implementing or doing the thing for someone else. But at the same time, like, we got to work on ourselves as leaders too, so we can have better impacts. So I think it's amazing that you folks are doing that over there. Well, you know, the truth is we never arrive. Mm. And if we feel that we have, we really don't deserve to be in a position of leadership. I, mm. I think that if you want, you have to emulate, or I'm sorry, let me back that up. You have mm. to model the behaviors that you want your team to emulate. Mm -hmm. So if I want people to be, um, you know, lifelong learners, if I want people to be growth minded mm -hmm. and open to development and 
and and perpetual improvement and finding your potential and reaching it and then setting a new level and reaching it, mm-hmm. I have to do the same thing. I can't tell you to do it while I sit back and not. Um, mm-hmm. I learn something new every day. And nine times out of 10, I'm learning it from a member of my team. I learn from them every day. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm surrounded by smart people. I'd say most of them are smarter than me. And I'm glad for that because that makes me feel good knowing that, you know, we all have a shelf life. And when my time is done, that center will be in good hands mm-hmm. with someone who knows what they're doing and is is ready to continue the work that we're doing. And, uh, you know, I just... I think that's what it's about is what is the legacy you want to leave? What, what is the impact that you want to place on your team for the brief time that you're there? Because we're not, none of us are around forever. So my goal is that when it's time for me to retire and I move on, that my team never misses a beat. Yeah. Like they might miss me as a person, but mm-hmm. they don't miss me as their director because yeah. they bought it. And, and if I do that, then I know I'm a success, right? Yeah. And it's such a wonderful thought, right? It's like no more gatekeeping and dispatch. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're going for is like, yes. I don't need to hold the keys to the city. Like everyone can have a copy, you know, like yeah. we're not talk, talking about security or whatnot, but right. like every, all this knowledge, all this, these abilities, these things, like we should be pouring into each other. So, you know, I'm not, dreading working with Tina, you know, Tina, I'm, I'm carrying Tina. It's, you know, Tina's the same as my other shift partner or like whatever that looks like, we should really be just empowering each other to do better, have knowledge, you know, like let's make it, let's make this hard job easy. You know, it's it's not a competition at the end of the day, we should all be working toward the same goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are days, honestly, Ashley, I don't know what I'm doing. I have lots of those days, right? Even someone pointed it out to me in a conversation and it cracked me up. I I won't use the word that he used, um, but he said, you know, you know what I like about you? You know, you just have this attitude of, I don't know what the I'm doing, but I'm doing it. (laughs) And you know, it's been ringing in my head ever since he said it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that was the first time I was like, I really feel called out right now. Right? Like, <laughs> and I am. I'm like really called out. I'm like, wow, I feel seen. Mm-hmm. I don't think I feel judged, but I definitely feel seen. <laughs> you know, but I think that it's letting go of that expectation that you have every answer, that you have all the solutions and that, right, that you're responsible for you are responsible for what happens in your team, but mm-hmm. that you have to make all the decisions. Like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I get decision fatigue. And mm-hmm. if someone else is better at making a decision on an issue than I am, like, why not trust them to do it? So yeah. um, I think it's just really letting go of the control and knowing that you can trust your team. Mm-hmm. And if you're intentionally bringing in the right people with the right skill sets that align with who you are and and your philosophies on leadership, it's easy to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's taken practice. And it it was foreign to me, right? I'm, I am a civilian woman who grew up in, in a, in a uniformed male environment. Mm -hmm. And so I, right, like, in terms of finding your voice, like, I struggled with that for years, because, right, like, good women leaders are quiet, 
And mm. I, you know, I, you can tell I'm super like introverted and reserved and I don't, mm. you know, don't talk a lot. And so you can imagine, <laughs> right? Like, you know, my walking into a meeting and speaking mm. my mind was sort of like a turd in a punch bowl. And, yeah. it, you know, and it, like you have to work through those feelings of, do I make myself small to mm. be accepted or do I continue to, you know, to, to lift my voice or to express my, my opinions, my, provide my input, my recommendations. I chose the path of continuing. Um, but I, but I do think that to some degree, um, you know, really facing that it was against my, uh, against my best, uh, best wishes, like in terms of, right, like I wasn't serving myself personally mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of career pathing or whatever I wasn't serving that well mm-hmm. um but I couldn't imagine not mm-hmm. I, I couldn't imagine not being that person I yeah. couldn't imagine not um not speaking my truth mm-hmm. and not in a normal ray raising hell standing on the the table like with my picket <laughs> sign but, but just really more about speaking truth to power because I think what I've learned as a director is there's a lot I don't see in here. And I also am aware that there's a lot that would never be said to me, even mm. if I asked mm. because of the position I'm in. Yeah. So, right. Like I'd rather mm. be the, the kind of person who can um, create an environment where people feel welcomed, compelled and, and obligated mm-hmm. to mm. bring forward, to speak up, to contribute. Yeah. And how freeing it is to not have to have the right answer every time. Like how freeing it is to be able to lean on your team and them not think that you're faltering. You know what I mean? And I think that comes from you being able to say the I'm still moving my feet, but I don't really know what direction we're going right now, but we're going to figure it out together. <laughs> right? oh my God, we're marching. Get in line. Let's go. <laughs> we're back. We're going in a direction. Hopefully it's the right one, but we're going to get there together, you know, but it is freeing to know that like, I don't have to have the right answer, but my team trusts me that I'm going to do the work. I'm going to find the research. I'm going to, you know, you know, hire the right people. We're going to do it. But I don't, I don't need to be the dictionary, you know, like, I think that's something very freeing and it allows the folks who you're leading to step up and fill that role for you. And that is so empowering as someone who's not in that leadership role. It's easier to sit back and criticize what is happening around you, right? Mm -hmm. It takes courage and strength um, to step up and say, you know what? I got this. Let me Mm -hmm. take, let me take a stab at this issue. Um, But those are, those are today and uh, today's and tomorrow's leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's how you, and that's how you identify them. That's Mm -hmm. how you identify the talent in your team is looking at the people who look at the greater picture and think, Hey, I have an idea. I think this could work. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've tried to, you know, we've really put in place a lot of um, opportunities for the members of our team to have a direct role in like modifying, crafting, creating policies and workflows Mm -hmm. because they're the ones doing the job. Mm -hmm. Um, How, you know, 
I haven't worked a console in a while. Yeah. I could do it, but you know, God help everybody. <laughs> Again, we're just, wait, is this the button? Is it, do I push this? <laughs> it, right? It's the technology. Like I know how it works. I know how much it costs. I know how much my budget can afford, you know, but it has changed so much yeah. since I was on the line that I, I, it, I don't know that I could walk through the door today and I mean, maybe I could, I, maybe I'm being hard on myself. I don't know, but I think it would be very difficult for me to walk through the door today without experience and then become a student mm. and a brand new employee. Mm. Um, I think it just takes a, there is a, a savvy, a tech savvy involved that mm. is um, really remarkable. Yeah. But I will say that, I mean, I don't think that it's an age <clears throat> thing. We've got, uh, we've got a 72 year old who is wow. just about to be released from basic training into call taking. So, so freaking cool. <laughs> like, I love that so much. Yes. It is the most exciting thing ever. I, oh you know, like it's, it's not an everyday occurrence, but mm. I love that this person has succeeded with us. So yeah. That's so cool. And I mean, it's true. Like I got folks all the time who like message me and they're like, you know, I'm X amount of years old. I've been doing this. Like, do you think I can do it? And it's like, I mean, the answer is yes. You know, like you, you can, you might have to work a little harder. You might have to practice a little more, you know, like, but I think gen generally anyone can go out and attempt to do this job and be trained to do this job well, if they're in the right environment. For sure. And I, and I do think there's a lot to be said about the resilient, just kind of the natural resiliency of a person, right? So regardless of your technological expertise, if you can handle stressful situations without absorbing it and making it your stressful situation naturally, I think this job can come very naturally for anyone who is good at that. And yeah. not that we can't teach people. I, you know, I think you can help someone mm -hmm. to develop that resiliency um, with kind of the stress and the elevation of the types of calls we receive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but I definitely would, you know, value those soft skills, those human skills above mm -hmm like a typing speed. Like we yeah. do critical, but we don't pass fail anyone in critical. Yeah. It's just a guideline to tell us like, does this person need a little extra help with oh. typing? That's an interesting way of looking at it. I haven't, I'm sure folks do do that out here, but my experience has, it has been a pass fail for most agencies, which drives me crazy because it's, it's critical. It's not really as reflective as you would like it to be in creating the job situation, right. you know? So I feel like we're losing a lot of applicants in that, mm -hmm. that stage of the process, yep. um, which is why I put all my resources and stuff out there. And I'm trying to create more things to get people through that step, because if we can get more people through that step, we're going to have more people who can pass training because they yes. need that human interaction to be successful you know so um i yeah. love that you folks aren't past failing over there that's i think that's amazing and if you're listening and you have the power to to make that change yeah. in your agency oh my gosh. it's a great change to make honestly though it was like an epiphany um yeah. one day i was just going back through historic 
recruitments. So looking at our worksheets of like the applicants and their mm -hmm. initial scoring and who was passing and failing. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing people who had, and I think the cutoffs that were in place when I arrived, I think, I believe they were like 74% non-data entry overall and 47.54 keystrokes per hour. Wow. So I was have like, I saw like oodles of people who had like, you know, like maybe they had, they scored an 85 overall non-data entry and they had 4,500 keystrokes per hour. <laughs> and we turned him away. It's just what? Wild, right? Why would you? I do have people that? like failing like one category by one percent. And they're like, I don't know how to get past this one percent. It's like just pass them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And so just looking so at that and looking at the numbers, I I just about fell out. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, this is insanity. And, and this mm. was right before we dove into COVID, right? And so mm. we already had staffing issues. Yeah, COVID mm. blew the roof off of the entire yeah, situation. Yeah. But I mean, we were already doing that. Like we, right, the, when I walked into the center, we were probably 13, 14 positions down and we're turning people away like that. Yeah. I would rather know about your personality. Are you teachable? Yeah. Are you moldable? Like, do you have a good personality? Are you relatable with people? Um, right? Like, are you a yeah. person that has, like, you're a decent person? You make, you know, you make mostly mm -hmm. good decisions. Mm -hmm. Are you that person? Because that's who I want. Yeah. And I thought, we cannot do this a minute longer. So, yeah. you know, we, we've changed that. And we, I mean... I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm so on the fence about if I want to continue it or not. Mm -hmm. I really feel more strongly about moving more toward into strictly kind of personality-based assessments and mm -hmm. figuring out who the person are yeah. is just organically and like, mm -hmm. are they a person we can mold into a successful professional? Yeah. Um and I, and I think there will be more changes along the line. I would love to see, um, you know, those testing organizations um, adapt their testing model to the shift in what we're realizing and, no. you know, not double down on typing speed, but begin to give more in-depth uh, training or, I'm sorry, testing opportunities mm -hmm. that can give us that insight into the person rather yeah. than the technical skill. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, even just because that's been my reality is like, you have to pass critical in order to get to the stage. Like the fact that the idea that someone has the power to go, no, we don't need that. Like hadn't even like crossed my mind, but it's like so true. Like, why, why are we using this test? Is this tool something that was put in place x amount of years ago and it's no longer serving us and we just don't know how to break up with it like are we in a toxic relationship with it and don't know how to say goodbye yeah. or is the information that we're receiving for it actually helping us get better candidates i don't have access to that um in like the bigger agencies, so i wouldn't be able to do any type of, you know, experiment or data grab or whatever. But that would be the question I would be posing to folks like you who are in those positions. Is like, is this really helping us find the best candidates? And why was this implemented in the first place? Because yeah. we train you 
we train you and, and how we do it, you know, our love language, you know, that's how we're training you. So it's all very I think we've done. I think it came from us doing the best we could in the moment. Mm. I, I honestly, you know, I, I think that we realized we had to have, we had to have the ability to screen. I mm. also think it might've been somewhat misguided or maybe it's because I look back on it in retrospect and I have a different understanding now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that in some ways we hurt ourselves as an industry mm-hmm. by really embracing the mantra of the only 2% of the population can do this. <laughs> and, and by excluding people and cutting yeah. them out, I feel like in some weird unintentional way, we were validating that that belief that we were just grasping onto, like, we are so special. No one can do it. No. When in reality, with the right cultivation, I think you can get a much broader audience of people in, and make them thriving, successful professionals. Yeah. But, but we, we sort of did that to ourselves. And, and then I also think that sure. what's been important is, is just – the openness to deviate away from some of the other background testing. For example, I've been through this process with Aurora and I, when I began, we were essentially doing like almost identically like the same kind of a background that we were doing for incoming officers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we're not in the field. We're not putting hands on people. We we don't have control over someone's freedom. We don't Mm -hmm. care. You know, right. Like we're not making a life and well, okay. We are making life and death decisions, but we're not the person who's actually like making the life. and Yeah. Yeah. We're not contacting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, that, that's also another area that I think we'll have to fundamentally change. Like, um, especially like with the psychological, that we're putting people through the same psychological I'm not sure if we need the same measurements taken yeah I also think that in this day and age where we are really working to normalize the use of mental health resources to help us navigate life Mm. um, sometimes is detrimental in the process because if you disclose that you've had mental health treatment Mm-hmm. You are then compelled to to provide all of your records. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen, I've engaged a counselor in my lifetime. Yeah. And honestly, I, as we all if should, you ask, <laughs> if you ask me to go back and and find that information. Yeah. Like I don't even remember their name right now. Yeah. But I knew in the moment is what I needed, and it was helpful. So mm-hmm. I think that we have to we have to really evaluate this in terms of are we are we truly doing that candidate and our organization a service by having it done this way or is there a better way is there a better mm-hmm. way to evaluate how that person presents today yeah. like i don't however you were 10 years ago that was 10 years ago and we all grow and evolve we're all Mm -hmm. different than we were Mm -hmm. 10 years ago Mm -hmm. but how are you right now how Mm -hmm. are you can Mm -hmm. you do this are you Mm -hmm. are you healthy like that for me is what I think that I would rather know and um just because right like obviously it's stressful but you know I think we just have to really critically evaluate all of our traditions Mm -hmm. and not be afraid 
to change it. Mm. Not be afraid to try it differently. And if it doesn't mm. work okay, then do something else. But mm -hmm. try something. We can't stay the same and expect to evolve. <sighs> Tina. This has been amazing. Okay, look, I got all the little notes to be able to clip this stuff out. This has been so good. And as we come to a close, um, the, the question that I ask everybody is, what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in dispatch? If you are looking for a purpose, if you, if, if what is important to you is that what you do makes a difference in the world, this is a career that can absolutely provide that to you. Come into it with your eyes wide open, knowing that you are engaging people on the worst, in some of the worst moments of their life, but they're calling you and they're relying on you because they don't know what else to do. And you can be that person that can guide them, comfort them, connect them with resources and make the difference between that moment being the worst moment of their life or temporarily being the worst moment of their life. And you can impact that. You know, it's, I think that there is such valor in what we do every day that we don't have, an, we just don't give ourselves enough credit. You hear a lot about 911 professionals being the unsung heroes, the faceless heroes, right? We're behind the scenes. We're the support. Um, and I'm here to say that anyone coming into this industry in this field, know that you're making a difference. Let your face be seen. Let your voice be heard because we are worth bragging about. This is not a consolation prize. This is a career and, and you can be a part of it. And if really if your heart's in the right place, you can make this happen and we'll help you. We all want you here. Awesome. Tina, thank you so much. That was amazing advice. And, you know, thank you for what you're doing in your center and the, and the leadership role that you're taking. You know, we got to meet in person at Nina um, this past conference and you're, you're, you're living your truth. You're, you're being a representation of the things that I'm sure is sprinkling down to the folks you're leading every day. So thank you for being that type of leader in 911 because we need more of them. My people make it so easy. And thank you. <laughs> I think that we, we all, there's nothing preventing any of us from doing that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we just have to give ourselves permission and then get out of our own way. And exactly. right. Every process looks a little different, but I'm telling you, it's happening. And and I feel like it's catching on. And I love watching this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like the great emergence of, <laughs> like, we're this here and we are taking over. <laughs> like groundhogs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. It's the best. What a great high note to, you know, come toward the final years of my career. I mean, I just, I, it's amazing. Awesome. Well, again, Tina, thank you so much. And I'll be right back with you. All right, everybody, that was another amazing episode here at Let's Talk Dispatch. Again, Tina, thank you so much. And for the folks who are listening and who are in leadership roles and who aren't in leadership roles, you know, we are all responsible for creating great environments at these centers that we're spending 12, 14 hours a day in. And it's, it's easy to just be kind and it's easy to admit when, hey, 
we don't always have the answer and that's okay until next time everybody stay raspy see you next time thanks for tuning in to another episode of let's talk dispatch a raspy dispatcher production if you like the podcast don't forget to hit that subscribe button leave a five-star review and of course tell a friend if you want to be a guest head to the raspydispatcher.com and check out our additional resources until next time Stay raspy, everybody.